0: Hi, I am Joseph,
1: and I am Eleni, and
0: And we are are the hosts of Microbes in Us.
1: This podcast brings together the people that work tirelessly to uncover and understand the microbial world, its secrets, its complexity, and its vibrancy.
0: And it will show us how microbes can shape, break, and make our human world.
1: From prehistoric times,
0: all the way to the modern world around us.
1: We hope you enjoy and share this podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to our 8th episode, I can't believe it's December already and I'm thinking winter, Christmas presents, family and snow, loads of snow, that is exactly the inspiration behind this episode, today I'm joined by a very special guest who is going to bring
0: their own experience from the earth's southernmost continent, Antarctica. Hi, I'm Christina. I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Florida in Brent Christner's lab, and I'm so excited to talk to you guys today. So I have so many questions to ask
1: you today, because you don't hear that uh, someone got to do microbiology work in Antarctica, and I guess our listeners will be also eager to learn more. So let's start the story from the beginning. How did you start working in this area?
0: So this Antarctica work that I do now was completely by chance. I started in microbiology lab, biogeochemistry, looking at how different crop covers affect the microbiology within the soil. Um, That's kind of the undergrad work that I was doing. And then when I went to grad school, we rotated around with different faculty. And it just so happened my first year that my professor, Brent Christner, he moved to the University of Florida. And so halfway through my first year, I did a rotation and I fell in love with all of his polar work. And I was like, this is crazy. I can actually go to Greenland or go to Antarctica or somewhere crazy that I haven't been to. and do microbiology it's everything i wanted I, I love traveling and i love microbiology so it's perfect combination
1: and when you went there what were you investigating exactly
0: We drilled down a kilometer beneath the ice to access a subglacial lake. And my job as the microbiologist on the team was to look at what microbes can live in a completely dark, sub zero aquifer beneath all of that ice and that has been separated for thousands of years from any sort of outside input. And so looking at who can survive in that sort of habitat, how they might survive in that sort of habitat, and also how have they evolved? to that habitat that may help lead us to look at life on other planets like Europa.
1: Fantastic. You said you drilled a kilometer long hole into the ice. How is that possible?
0: So it's like a glorified gardening hose. So it's a hot water drill. So they were melting a whole bunch of ice and (laughs) blasting it. It was about a two or three foot hole that they created with it. And so they would just slowly lower the gardening hose (laughs) down the hole as it was going. And then they sent down another hose. So then they were just recycling that water. And it was a huge setup full of things to like sterilize the water and filter it and heat it. (laughs) And yeah, it was quite quite the operation I'm so glad I got to be a part of it too I wasn't there just doing science so I was talking with all the marine techs and uh, we had a specific drilling team where this is what they do they just go and drill holes in Antarctica and so they were like showing us all their gadgets and letting us participate
1: that's very very interesting what microbes did you actually find
0: so we're still working through a lot of it but there are all sorts of bacteria and archaea living down there. Very diverse. So we see things that are all part of the geochemical cycle. So they love nitrogen. They love sulfur and iron and methane. And a lot of them are chemolithoautotrophs And so they're able to kind of sustain themselves but then you have all these heterotrophic organisms that are part of the community as well so it's a complete ecosystem in that they're able to survive (laughs) beneath this (laughs) kilometer of ice
1: sometimes when people work on these um let's say extreme microbes that do not go actually and do the sampling themselves. How did you feel when you were announced that you will have the chance to go and visit and do hands-on work by yourself? And what were your feelings when you actually arrived, set the first step onto the, like this new, very cold continent?
0: I was really excited. It's my bucket list to travel to every single continent, and I could do this for free with uh, this research. So very lucky, very fortunate but I was nervous. I didn't know anybody on this big collaboration team. I found out I was going six months before I had to hop on that plane. So it was kind of frantically packing up everything that we needed to do all of our science because we don't really have access to anything when we're down there. But as soon as the shipping was all done, I kind of just got to like take some deep breaths and I couldn't believe I was going. And When I first looked out the plane and I saw Antarctica, I was in awe. (laughs) There's no better way to put it. It You could see the glaciers flowing on and all of the snow around it. And then you see all of these mountainous peaks popping through. And when we step foot on Antarctica, there's a volcano that's super close by. And it's the farthest south active volcano. And so you could see the steam coming up from it. And it was 24-hour sunlight, so it was just absolutely gorgeous. And then we arrive at McBurdo Station and there's hardly any snow in that station area. I wasn't expecting that, but then you see the sea ice and you see the seals and I was soaking in every single minute of it.
1: I'm also interested to know um, more about a normal day in Antarctica. So like we all know, or we can guess how a typical laboratory day goes for for most researchers but how would you describe a day working there?
0: There was about three different stages of work when we were there so when we arrived in McMurdo we had to prep everything to send out to our deep field camp where the lake is and so that it was just packing up all of the stuff that we sent down there so repacking it all to the things we just needed testing all of our equipment to make sure that it worked because when we're out in the deep field we've don't have access to any parts that we may have to like last minute ship or try and fix just the prep. And you get up like a normal day. They had breakfast and everything. So you go to the cafeteria, get your food, go to the lab, do some work. And then as soon as we get out to the field, they were drilling the hole. So we were patiently waiting, sitting around the rack tent, uh, which is Uh, Kind of like the dining hall. It's just a tent that they popped up where we had our chef, which we were very lucky to have, but we were playing cards, just trying to pass the time anyway. We did a little exploring on the lake, but again, it was just vast flatness on top of this lake. And then the science kicked in. And so it was 24 hours some days, depending on how long borehole operations were going on, just because you have to be there, help with uh, the sample collection portion. So dropping something into the lake, pulling it out of the lake, and then dividing up all of the samples as soon as they come out in the cleanest fashion. So sometimes it was a 24-hour shift that you were doing. A lot of times I had to be on, they had two different teams. They had a sediment team. And they had a water team and microbiology is in both. And so I was doing 20 hour shifts, sleeping for four hours, just completely crashing and then waking up and doing it all over again. And so that was About two weeks, there was a little time in between each of the week where I got to relax a little bit more because they had to re-ream the hole for accessing the lake because it would freeze back. So as soon as all of our samples were collected, I started doing science. So taking samples for culturing, freezing them for DNA and RNA and just preserving them the best uh, that we could for when we got back to University of Florida, more processing. And for
1: you, which was the most difficult thing there? Was it the cold? Was it like the food or working hours? I think
0: the most difficult thing was probably some of the days where I was lacking a lot of sleep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I would just start saying crazy things. I was out of my mind at that point. The food was amazing for what they could do. We had an amazing chef. She was so great preparing everything for us when we were out there. I I wish there was fresh fruit and vegetables. We had to get by with all of the canned stuff just because mm-hmm. it's easier to preserve down there. So I, I did miss like fresh greens and fruit, but otherwise it was such a great atmosphere for doing science, yeah. but also just like being able to take in where you were at and what you were doing
1: and let's say for the people that do get the chance to go there in the future what would you advise are a few like
0: things to take with you i got some great advice from my professor if you get to do research down there pillows are great packing material it lessens your load of what you actually have to pack taking down Plus you get to have a really nice pillow if you're sleeping on the ground in the ice. So I had got to have an amazing pillow when I was out there and other people were trying to use big red, which is the really big red coats that you'll see all the United States scientists wearing down there. So they were trying to ball that up and use it as a pillow. I also brought peanut butter with me. I love peanut butter and it was just kind of like If I didn't want to eat the food or a spoonful of peanut butter and I was ready to go. So we were down there during Christmas and we had people bring um, some Christmas decorations with us and Honestly, it, it felt like Christmas down there. And it really helped when we were missing our families on that day. We did get to call them on satellite phones, but just kind of decorating and celebrating. We sang Christmas carols across the continent for everyone to hear. So our, our whole team did a really nice job of making us feel at home when we were so very far away from home.
1: You talked about uh, being at a station where you like, close to civilization?
0: Yeah, so McMurdo Station, it used to be an old military base, but now it's solely for scientific research. And so there are a lot of other people that go down there to help support the scientists. So we have chefs that go down, they have people to maintain water supplies and kind of like fabrication Teams to help you make anything that you might need while you're down there. There's uh, helicopter pilots, plane pilots, there are military presence just because they fly the planes in and out of the continent. But yeah, everything at McMurdo Station is there to kind of help facilitate the, all the different types of research that are going down in that part of Antarctica.
1: And anyway, I guess it was a great way to network because there are loads of scientists gathered in the same area, maybe not on microbiologists but like all kind of scientists
0: yeah and they do this really nice thing where they had like weekly science talks from all the people that were down there so there's people coming and going to different field camps on and off continent to the south pole base they go through McMurdo station and so they would come and talk about their science and then we kind of got to chat around and have uh, lunches and dinners with them in the uh, cafeteria so it was really really nice to see like all of that and very interesting from a science standpoint because I didn't know all of that science was going on.
1: Now changing the subject to go a little bit deeper into the science are you currently analyzing this?
0: Yeah so I am writing up a paper on some of our first findings of the microbiology and then I am still processing a lot of the sequencing data. With that, I'm looking at what are the potential functions, what are the functions of these microbes that we're finding and also hoping to unravel some of the evolution story that's going on with these microbes. How long have they been trapped under the ice? Uh, Is that enough time for them to evolve in completely different species? And then what are their adaptations that they have evolved in this subglacial environment? That's just the active work that's going on by me.
1: Where do you see this research going in the future? Is there a specific aspect of this that you would like to investigate further?
0: I'm answering a lot of questions, but I making me ask a lot more questions as well. This subglacial lake is only the second one that has been successfully sampled in Antarctica, and there are over 400 of these lakes. That are active in Antarctica. That's a big stretch to say this one subglacial lake is like every single subglacial lake in Antarctica. If you just look at lakes across the United States or across the world, very different. There's some that are very, very old. Lake Vostok is one that gets talked about a lot that we would love to try and sample and figure out what the microbiology, I mean, we're talking things that are, could have been trapped under there for millions of years, which is a very long time if you're trying to look at the evolution of these microbes. And if we're able to figure out how these microbes might have evolved or what's beneficial for their evolution, again, it goes back to finding life on other planets. What would they need? If there is life, what might we look for? If we have to send a vehicle to sample it, what can we target about that microbe that would indicate a sign of life? And so it's kind of driving those efforts as well as what happens if we lose all of the glaciers? What's going to happen with those microbial communities? They've been trapped in this very isolated environment and they help mitigate emissions like methane into the environment. What sort of outputs are we going to see or how might the microbes change then if they're exposed to a warmer climate?
1: They're all very, very interesting questions. It's really fascinating that you're not only addressing earth but are you also addressing potential life on other planets if we were to focus on one specific microbe what is your favorite cold adapted microbe
0: so one that i've done a lot of work and it has been a journey in trying to culture out of these samples is a methanotroph so it eats methane and uh, releases CO2 as one of its byproducts. But it it really helps mitigate the emission of methane. And my undergrad will tell you all about our efforts in trying to culture it. And it was a painstaking process, but we finally got these cold loving microbes growing at four degrees Celsius Mm -hmm. over weeks uh finally a suitable habitat where they like it and so I would say methanotrophs are probably my favorite cold loving uh just because of their potential but I put so much time and effort into trying to culture them how could I not love the success that we saw (laughs) it's
1: one of these you know biased questions that you ask all microbiologists what is your favorite microbe and they all tend to say oh it's what I'm working on currently or along those similar lines I don't have any other questions thank you very much for being with me and recording this very special episode and I hope that all the listeners enjoy this and get motivated into doing research in unique environments
0: thank you I've loved doing this thank you for inviting me
1: and that wraps up our last Microbes and Us podcast episode for 2021. I hope you enjoyed listening. Make sure you follow us on our social media platforms at FEMSMicro Micro and subscribe to our YouTube channel Fems Microbiology. Until next time, happy holidays and a wonderful new year.